Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright. This is the video teaching series, God, God's Love for Us. This is lesson number six. And the title of this lesson is, His Great Love Wherewith He Loved Us. Now, I am going to be reading from Ephesians 2. In lesson five, I read from Ephesians 3. I know this may seem a little backwards, <laughs> May seem, but this is the way I felt to do it. And so I'm doing it the way I feel led to do it. I'm not going to try to explain why I'm doing it this way. I'm just trying to be obedient. So let's look. Let's look at this great love. The great love. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, now, those three verses paint quite a dire picture, don't they? But God, verse 4, who is rich in mercy for or because of his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, parentheses, by grace you're saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come we might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Uh, this is so, it is so good. I'm, I'm going to read the Amplified, all of it, all of it. <laughs> and you he made alive, verse 1, Ephesians 2, when you were dead, slain by your trespasses and sins, in which at one time you walked habitually, you were following the course and fashion of this world, were under the sway of the tendency of this present age, Following the prince of the power of the air, you were obedient to and under the control of the demon spirit that still constantly works in the sons of disobedience, the careless, the rebellious, and the unbelieving who go against the purposes of God. Among these, we as well as you once lived and conducted ourselves in the passions of our flesh. Our behavior governed by our corrupt and sensual nature, obeying the impulses of the flesh and the thoughts of the mind, our cravings dictated by our senses and our dark imaginings. We were then by nature children of God's wrath, heirs of his indignation like the rest of mankind. But God, so rich is his mercy, because of, in order to satisfy the great and wonderful and intense love with which he loves us, even when we were dead 
or slain by our own shortcomings and trespasses or our sins. He made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. He gave us the very life of Christ himself, the same new life with which he quickened him for it is by grace, his favor and mercy, which you did not deserve, that you are saved, delivered from judgment, and made partakers of Christ's salvation. And he raised us up together with him, and made us sit to get, sit down together, giving us joint seating with him in the heavenly sphere, by virtue, this is all past tense folks, it's already a done deal if you would believe it, Made us, he's all, he hath made us. He has already raised us up and made us sit together. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. In heavenly, in the heavenly sphere, by the virtue of our being, in Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, he did this that he might clearly demonstrate through the ages to come the immeasurable, limitless, surpassing riches of his free grace, his unmerited favor, and in his kindness and goodness of heart toward us in Christ Jesus. For it is by free grace, God's unmerited favor, that you are saved, delivered from judgment, and made partakers of Christ's salvation. Through your faith, and this salvation is not of your, excuse uh, not three. Yeah, through your faith. And, and this salvation is not of yourselves, of your own doing. It came not through your own striving, but it is the gift of God. Not because of works, not the fulfillment of the law's demands, lest any man should boast. It is not the result of what anyone can possibly do, so no one can pride himself in it or take glory to himself. For we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time, that we we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. Now, this is some amazing stuff. It's, uh, this is amazing. I, 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 I can't help myself. I'm going to read Weiss before I start commenting. And this is, these are long readings. And you being dead with reference to your trespasses and sins, he made alive. In the sphere of which trespasses and sins at one time, you ordered your behavior as dominated by the spirit of the age in this world system, as dominated by the leader of the authority of the lower atmosphere, the source also of the spirit that is now operating in the sons of the, of the disobedience. Among whom also we all ordered our behavior in the sphere of the cravings of our evil nature, continually practicing the desires of our evil nature and of our thoughts, and were continually the children of wrath by nature as also the rest. But God, being wealthy in the sphere of mercy, because of his great love with, with which he loved us. And we, being dead with respect to our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace have you been saved completely in past time and with the present result that you are in a state of salvation which persists, persists through present time <clears throat> and raised us 
with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that he might exhibit for his own glory in the ages that will pile themselves upon another in continuous succession the surpassing wealth of his grace in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For by the, by the grace have you been saved in time past completely through faith with the result that your salvation persists through the present time. And this salvation is not from you as a source of God. It is a gift, not from a source of works in order that no one might boast. For we are his handiwork created in Christ Jesus with a view to good works, which God prepared before in order that within their sphere we may order our behavior. Now, I realize it's a little difficult to follow all of that, especially the Amplified and Weiss, when it's being read, because, of course, we're used to hearing the King James and its cadence and phraseology, and so it's not quite as cumbersome, even though it uses language that we don't use normally in our everyday uh, speech. Uh, But I just I wanted to read it. I, I love these verses. I, I, I love the Bible. But these verses are so powerful. They, they go all the way from how far lost we were to the fact we can't save ourselves all the way through what the Lord did and his motives to do what he could, what he, what he provided to save us, all the way to how saved we can be. Just these ten verses. From how totally lost we were to what the love of God did to save us to bring us to the place of how completely saved we can be. Now, of course, I remind you again, as I have many times before, I'm sure I will do it again in the years of my teaching coming. But these verses were addressed to the church. They were not written to the lost to tell them how to get saved. They were written to the lost, to the church, so the church could understand how they got saved so that they can have confidence in giving themselves to God and His love so that they could do the good works of letting God reach the lost through them. You say, well, that's not the good works, isn't it? I've got Christ in me. And Christ said he came to seek and save the lost. And Hebrews says that Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if he came to seek and save the lost and, uh, and, and, and he can't change, uh, How is it that Christ isn't doing through us who and what he is? How is that the case? So what other good works would there be other than the works of giving myself completely to him and not trying to earn my salvation by my good deeds, but letting him work through me and be himself through me so the lost can be saved? What other good works would there be? I know atheists that are kind to people. I know people that are atheists 
that are charitable and give to charities to help people. People that would stop and help their neighbor change a tire. They don't love God, but they're nice people. But it doesn't make them saved. So the first part of this, and this again, these less these these ten verses could be a series all by their themselves to teach them in the depth that they uh, need to be taught, except that that's not the direction I've got. But notice, again, just how bad off we were when we were lost, even if we were attending church, we were that bad off. Well, I was a good person. I never did anything wrong. That's a lie. The Bible says all of sin have come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. So who's right, you or God? Who's right, the word of God or you? No, sorry. But notice again how lost we were and how under the influence of a supernatural power that we didn't even acknowledge. And you had the quickened where you were dead trespasses and sins where in time past you walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh, not possesseth, but worketh, influences the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation. And the word conversation there in the Greek, the word conversation translated the Greek word because it was used in 1611 when the King James was translated, Different today, conversation to us means just talking to somebody. But in 1611, the word con- conversation spoke of an entire a person's entire lifestyle, and that's what the Greek word means. We all had our lifestyle, uh, the, the, what what we did, how we lived, what we thought, what we uh, liked, what we didn't like. We all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now, this is pretty sobering when you read the Amplified. Uh, we were then by nature children of God's wrath and heirs of His indignation, like the rest of mankind. And of course, we says it this way uh, that. We were practicing the the desires of our evil nature and our thoughts and were continually children of wrath by nature. That's why Jesus said, uh, if that we don't believe in him, and the word believe, of course, means to trust in, cling to, rely upon, not just mentally acknowledge uh, or verbally acknowledge, uh, that those that don't believe are condemned already and are awaiting the wrath to come. John chapter 3 says that. Just a couple of verses after John 3.16. And so that's how lost we were. But everything changes with but God. Everything changes. All of our existence, everything about us, 
all of our past, all of our struggles, all the stuff we wouldn't want anybody to know we did or thought or said or whatever, or the stuff we wanted to do that we didn't do because we were afraid we'd get caught. All of that, all of that changed with but God, but God. And what is it that changes everything? But God, who is rich in mercy. Now, if God is rich, he is really rich. Now, if a human is rich, that's only with temporal things. But when God is rich, I mean, there is no human ability to describe or define or measure or put a quantity on his riches. And God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. That's the change, you see. Because of and in order to satisfy the great and wonderful and intense love with which he loved us, he did all of these things to provide salvation, draw us to him, change our lives, and give us purpose and a part in his plans and kingdom. And the, uh, we says it this way, uh, because of his great, well, his great love wherewith he loved us. So, uh, uh, that's what changes everything. The thing that changes everything, the, the, the catalyst for the change of everything, the motive, the reason for everything God has done is his love. Everything he's done is, and everything he allows to happen is for the purpose of making it possible for those that will allow him to save them to be saved. I've said it many times. It's hard to be lost because of the love of God. Every human being out there, God so loved the world that he robed himself in flesh and that flesh was born of a woman and therefore called a son. And that son who is also called the Christ, the word made flesh, hung on a cross. He was in the world. The world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came unto his own and his own received him not. That one went to such an extent, to such a, 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 a an extreme, that he did all of that to provide salvation for us because of love. Because of his love for us. Because of his love. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loved me. And there is nobody in this world that is so bad off that God can't completely change them if they would let Dig you out of the pit and the cesspool of sin? Oh, you may, you may think it's velvet lined. That's the lying deception of it. Because underneath that, the wages of sin is death. There's always a bill that comes due with the pleasures of sin for a season. The wages of sin is death. Right. But the answer to all of that, the, 
the, the, the solution, the rescue from all of that is the rich mercy of God which is given to us because he loves us. He loves us. His great love, not just love, but his love that is supernatural. His love that existed because he is love, God is love and God existed before everything. That love, that, that's how great that love is. That love, there isn't anything he can't fix in our lives if we will let his love do that. If we'll let his love do that. There isn't anything he can't fix in our lives. And so, <laughs> and Paul goes back to the extreme. But God who is rich in mercy for us, in his, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins. And Romans 5, again, I've taught on that. Uh, <laughs> uh, God recommends his love to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't ask for God to do this. We didn't seek him. We didn't ask him. He knew we were going to need it. And so he did it in advance so that if we chose to make the decision to get, to be tired of and be ready to be rid of all the guilt and the shame and the, the, the crud that we have down inside and want to be free, he's made the way so it's available when we're, when we're ready. He is ready. Well, when God's ready, he'll save me. He's, oh, he was ready. He was ready before the foundation of the world because Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. So if you're not saved, it's not because he's not ready. He's, he's ready. Christ is ready. And if you're backsliding and backsliding and having to come back to God, it's not, the, the timing is not God's time. God is ready now. He's ready now. So if you're trying to put it off on God, well, when he's ready, he'll bring me back. No, when you're ready, you'll come back because he's been ready. He wasn't ready for you to leave. There are a lot of people that say, uh, when I'm leaving the church, I'm not leaving God. <laughs> what self-deception that is. I'm not talking about leaving religion. But you can't leave the body of Christ that God dwells in without leaving God because the church is his plan. Now, I acknowledge there's a lot of stuff we do this tradition that's not his plan. But the body of Christ, the brotherhood, is it perfect? No, because we're still humans in it. And God's still working on me, like the, the Sunday school song goes. He's still working on me to make me what I'm supposed to be, blah, blah, you know, whatever. He's still working on us. And I, I have a problem with imperfect people criticizing somebody else for their imperfections. But uh, much more important than that, God has a problem with imperfect people who need love and mercy criticizing other people because they, they're they imperfect and you're not willing to give them love and mercy because they're imperfect. I, it's just a little problem. 
uh, it could cost you your salvation. That's how much of a problem it is. Because he said, you're trying to get the speck of dust out of your brother's eye and you're totally ignoring the beam in your own. And you know what I found? <laughs> true, uh, true people of God. True people of God. That know the love of God. Wants everybody to be saved. And there isn't anybody there ready to condemn to hell. Because they're going to let God do that condemning. He's the only one that has a right to. Right. And we're still wanting to see God do all that he wants to do. In the earth. In people's lives. He's not going to save the world. He's going to save people. But the world's doomed. The book says that in so many places. It's You can't believe the Bible without believing that. Because it's true. The world's doomed. It's just a matter of time. It's only a matter of when. The apostle of love, John, said in 1 John chapter 2, the world's going to pass away. The things of the world's going to pass away. But the he that loves the Father is going to abide forever. So all these things are happening in this world. It's all happening. But the the thing about all of that that's amazing is that God is waiting, God, God is waiting patiently on us to get a clue. He's waiting patiently on mankind to come out of his delusion and see clearly. Because if your eyes are blind and your ears are stopped and your heart is too hard to perceive, then you can't repent and be converted and be saved according to Jesus himself. So he's waiting on us to see this. He has raised us up together. You know, that's a, that's a phrase that we read. It, you know, again, verse 5 even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath, hath, past tense, raised us up together, and made us, past tense, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And we read that and go, no we're not. I'm sitting right here, in this uncomfortable chair. I'm sitting here, I'm not sitting up there. Ah, that's the problem. Because we look at everything and read everything from, from the perspective of here and now. The natural, the temporal, what I can see, feel, and touch. Well, then I don't believe in God because God is supernatural. He is a spirit. He's not of this world. And so... If I'm only fellowshipping with this world and I only want a God that will fit into this world, into my world, then I don't know the real God at all. Now, I, I may be worshiping somebody that wants to be God and has wanted to be God bad enough to get himself kicked out of heaven. But I'm not worshiping the God. Because he speaks about heavenly things. That's what he, Jesus told Nicodemus in chapter 3. Read it. He talked about a man being born again, and Nicodemus didn't understand. He said, if you can't understand earthly things, 
How can you understand heavenly things? And so, here's a heavenly thing. When you got saved, you didn't just come out of your mess. When you, when, the, when he saved you, he didn't just take you out of your mess to give you a better life and make you a better person. No. No, he didn't save you for that. His motive and purpose was so far above that that it's ludicrous to compare the two. And if you go back and read Ephesians 1, which I'm not going to do at the nearing the end of this lesson, the scripture says that it is the will of God for us to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him that the eyes of our understanding can be enlightened so that we might know the hope of his calling, the riches of his of the glory of his inheritance to the saints, that we might know the exceeding power, uh, exceeding greatness of his power to us, us who, us who believe, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him on the, the throne at the right hand of God or in the place of authority and power. That's a figurative statement. And has made him to be the head over all things to the church, put him over every principality, power, might, dominion, every name that is named. Put all things under his feet, and then the only body he's got on the earth is the church, so under our feet. But he's there, we're here, uh, but not in the spirit. It's not supposed to be that way in the spirit. That's why Paul said in Colossians 3, 3, 3, 1, set your affections on things above and not on things on the earth. Well, I don't want to be so heavenly minded I'm no earthly good. Oh, so you're so earthly minded you're of no heavenly good. Right? Right. I am in the world. I'm not of the world. And Jesus prayed that about us in John 17. That we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We are not a part of this world. We're not a part of it. In fact, James says... That friendship the world is enmity with God. So I can love the people of this world without being, without embracing their lives and lifestyle. Because if I'm embracing their lives and lifestyle, I'm now embracing the things of the world and the love of the Father is not in me. Praise God. That He might. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Why do you think at the end of Revelation 4 when the church is in heaven and we've been given our victor's crowns, our crowns of life. Why do you think we're all going to fall below his, at his feet of the one sitting on the throne and cast our crowns at his feet? Why? Because we didn't get ourselves there and we can't take the credit for it. And so all of us being there and saved will only do one thing. It will reveal how great his mercy, love, and grace really is. Amen. For by grace, grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so therefore, some people take these verses and totally pervert them to mean that I don't have to obey the word of God to be saved. That's not, all that's not necessary. You can't be saved by works. Well, when you, when I read both 
the Amplified and Weiss, it made it very clear. It wasn't talking about obedience to the Word of God. It was talking about things I was doing good to earn my salvation. And that's why Jesus said in John, uh, Luke 17, 10, When I have done all that is commanded me, say, I am an unprofitable servant because I've, I've just done what was my duty to do. I've earned nothing. I've earned nothing for myself. I've earned nothing from God when I am obedient. Why? Because obedience simply reveals that saving grace is present in me. And as we will teach in some future lessons here in a few, obedience proves the love of God is in me. According to Jesus, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, what if I don't keep his, keep his commandments, but I claim I'm saved? I don't love God. If I don't love God and God is love, then I don't have God in me either. Right. Therefore, I can't earn or deserve my salvation, but I've got to do what? For we are his workmanship. A lot of people quit with verse 9 because it verse 10 doesn't fit their doctrine, you see. Not a... Not of works, lest any man should boast. Period. Yeah, but the thought's not finished. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Not good works by our definition where we prove to God how deserving we are of being saved because again, there's none good, no, not one. There's no none righteous, no, not one. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3. And so, these good works are what the works that God does through us. I can't obey God's word without the empowerment of His grace to enable me to do that. When I'm trying to do it on my own, all I'm doing is failing. That's what sin is. It's missing the mark. I'm trying and I'm failing. Not everybody is guilty of sin. They may be guilty of iniquity. They may be guilty of rebellion, whatever. But the word sin, the Greek word translated sin, means to miss the mark. You can't, be miss, you can't miss something you're not trying to hit. And the Greek word, the root word of that word is portion or share. So I'm sinning if I am missing my portion or share because I am demonstrating lack of faith by disobedience to his word rather than demonstrating the presence of love and faith because I'm obeying his word by his empowerment. Praise God. His great love wherewith he loved us. But, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, he took us from extremely lost to the potential of being extremely saved if we will just walk in him and grow in him. That's why Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, receiving the end, and the Greek word there means the conclusion of, but also the maturity of your, of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Receiving the end of your faith, the completion of your faith, the maturity of your faith that has grown up. You become stable in him and rooted in him, as we taught in the last lesson. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I loose the spirit of revelation 
upon you and I in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might have the spirit of revelation and wisdom and knowledge in him, that we might know him, that we might know his love, that we might see how far he has brought us from and where he's wanting to take us to in the spirit sitting together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Jesus' name. I pray that you would receive this by the grace of God. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. God bless you.